You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our passage this afternoon will be Psalm 13. Feel free to turn there in the Bible. Our theme this afternoon will be the silence of God. We're going to look for grace in the most difficult questions that we face in life. When you walk through Yad Vashem, the world's Holocaust Remembrance Center in Jerusalem, you're emotionally exhausted by the time you reach the end. The pain, the suffering... The horror of six million Jews murdered less than 100 years ago. Right before you leave, you see a large photo from the Buchenwald concentration camp. A photo from April 16, 1945 shows inmates sleeping three to a bed with bunks stacked four high. The bodies are nothing more than skin stretched over skeletons. Tucked away in the second row of bunks in the picture, seventh from the left, is a 16-year-old face. I didn't recognize it at Yad Vashem, but the face would become famous around the world. It's the face of Elie Wiesel, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize in 1986. His book, Night, recounts his experience of the Shoah, or catastrophe, the Holocaust. It's the story of his experience at Auschwitz and why he never slept soundly again. It's the story of Ellie hearing his father cry for help as SS guards beat him to death. Ellie never, never forgave himself because he never moved to help his father. He was silent. Ellie says, Never shall I forget that night, that first night in camp, which has turned my life into one long night seven times cursed and seven times sealed. Never shall I forget that smoke. Never shall I forget the little faces of the children whose bodies I saw turned into wreaths of smoke beneath a silent blue sky. Never shall I forget those flames which consumed my faith forever. Never shall I forget those moments which murdered my God and my soul and turned my dreams to dust. Never shall I forget these things, even if I am condemned to live as long as God himself. Never. When three Jewish inmates, including a young boy, were hanged at Buchenwald, Wiesel heard a man behind him ask, Where is merciful God? Where is he? Silence. The man asked again, For God's sake, where is God? A voice answered to Wiesel. It was his own conscience. Where God is, this is where. Hanging on the gallows. Wiesel became the accuser. God the accused. Wiesel became strong. He survived the camps. But God did not survive. Does God's silence then mean... That Wiesel is right. That God is dead and we killed him. We put him on trial and executed him for crimes against humanity. Now Wiesel's experience may be extreme, but the silence of God haunts all of us. 
Have you ever cried out to God and heard nothing? Has the brutality of the world torn you apart? Have you gotten lost ever in the valley of the shadow of death? These are painful, serious questions that can make us wonder, will my faith survive? Such questions don't need to undermine our faith. They can instead build the foundations of a durable, lifelong, eternal faith. And I can't help thinking about these questions with the help of David, king of Israel, when I consider the tragedy that unfolded among the Jews, his people, 3,000 years after his death. So let's start and consider Psalm 13, 1 to 4, from the prayer book of God's people. David cries out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. It's not too much to say that these exact words, that this exact psalm was recited again and again and again in places like Auschwitz and Buchenwald. In some ways, in fact, it sounds a lot like Wiesel with an accusatory tone toward God. This is a common turn, especially that we saw in the 20th century continuing into the 21st, this putting God, as C.S. Lewis would say, in the dock. The Russian writer Fyodor Dostoevsky in the 19th century also made God the defendant in his famous novel, The Brothers Karamazov. In this book, Ivan Karamazov is arguing with his younger brother, Alyosha, about God. And like Wiesel, he's horrified by one thing in particular, the suffering of innocent children. And like Wiesel, he rejects any God who would allow such injustice. This now is the famous passage from Ivan Karamazov. Imagine that you yourself are building the edifice of human destiny with the object of making people happy in the finale, of giving them peace and rest at last. But for that, you must inevitably and unavoidably torture just one tiny creature, that same child who, were, who was beating her chest with her little fist, and raise your edifice on the foundation of her unrequited tears. Would you agree to be the architect of such conditions? Dostoevsky labels this chapter rebellion. And no wonder, after this famous passage, we read this gut-wrenching line from Ivan. He says this, It's not that I don't accept God, Alyosha. I just must respectfully return to him the ticket. Never, more, never has a more powerful argument against God been mustered than this. I believe in him. I just hate him. In the next chapter, Dostoevsky puts Jesus on the literal witness stand with Ivan's poem, The Grand Inquisitor. However, Dostoevsky's trial ends in a highly unexpected manner. 
He writes this, When the inquisitor ceased speaking, he wanted some time for his prisoner, that is Jesus, to answer him. His silence weighted down upon him. He saw that the prisoner had listened intently and quietly all the time, looking gently in his face and evidently not wishing to reply. The old man longed for him to say something, however bitter and terrible. But the prisoner suddenly approached the old man in silence and softly kissed him on his bloodless, aged lips. That was all his answer. The old man shuddered. Silence. We ask, is that the best Jesus can do? A kiss? Why won't God speak up and defend himself? Why won't he do something? I think we can see, though, that he does. In the shouts for justice from Wiesel, from Dostoevsky, from David, and from our own voices that fault him. Have you ever wondered that whether our own cries for justice, our lament against evil, our own unwillingness to settle for the tragedy of seemingly endless traumas testify that God is not silent in the darkness of this fallen world? Let's, under, let's, let's look at this more carefully. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, back before the dawn of creation when there was only silence. Then God spoke in the darkness, and there was light. And when God finished with night and day, when he finished with the eagles and dolphins and gazelles, he created his greatest masterpiece. On the sixth day of creation, God made man and woman. And God created nothing else in his image, nothing else in his likeness, only man and woman. What does this mean? It means, friends... That dolphins don't cry out in the silence for God. It means that eagles never ask the question, where is God? It means that gazelles never wonder if they should forgive themselves. Every man, woman, and child, regardless of whether they believe in Jesus or acknowledge him as creator, has been made in his image. We demand justice because we have been made by a God who is just. We cry for mercy because we've been made by a God who is merciful. We ask, where is God when babies burn in the death camp's furnaces? We are the only creatures who argue with God as children. Like teenagers frustrated with their father, shouting, it's not fair. Because it's not. We know this is not the world God first created. But man and woman... You and I have rejected God. We, humanity, have gone our own way. We may be made in the image of God, but we are prone to deny his paternity. When Adam and Eve believed the lies of the serpent over the promises of their creator, evil roared in victory. Ever since, the human story then has played in a minor key. Grief hit home almost immediately when righteous Abel was killed by his jealous brother Cain. And so we can see the seeds of the Shoah, the catastrophe, were planted by the serpent in the Garden of Eden. So how can God resolve this minor chord? Is he silent? Or can we perceive the faint sounds 
faint, faint sounds of a key change to come. These questions brought me back again to Psalm 13, to the greatest Jewish king, again, David. And they lead me also to the greatest Jewish prophet, Isaiah. And Isaiah prophesied through partial understanding in Isaiah 53, 7, when he spoke this word from God about a suffering servant. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. Silence. The lamb led to slaughter. But somehow Isaiah tells us an innocent servant's suffering will pardon the transgression of God's people. Somehow his chastisement will bring us peace. Somehow his wounds will heal our world. The first sounds of salvation emanated from a hill outside Jerusalem called Golgotha. For three hours, the creator and sustainer of the universe hung on a Roman cross, dying. In solidarity with its maker, the land descended into darkness. Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Night has never been darker. Quiet has never been quieter. And Jesus cried out again, and he died. And on the third day, the sun rose. Light shone on Jerusalem. The women who loved Jesus went to his tomb. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven. The sound, we're told by Scripture, was deafening. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And this messenger came with news of a new creation, that the former had passed away, and in Christ now God was reconciling the world to himself. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, we read in 2 Corinthians 5.21, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what theologians call the great exchange. In union with Christ, he takes our sin and dies the death we deserved on the cross. He gives us the righteousness of his sinless life so that one day we will hear these words from our Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. In Christ, the new creation has come. And even now, God is preparing to send his Son again. When Christ returns, all who believe will kiss the very lips that were betrayed. And Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death will be no more. No mourning, no crying, no pain. And we'll hear this song. The sounds of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Revolution, Revelation 19.6. Let's end here going back to Psalm 13. If you followed along with me, you saw I left off verses 5 and 6. 
We didn't read the whole psalm. David concludes, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The thief, Jesus warned us, comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus comes so that we would have abundant life, so that we would have a song to sing. Friends, God is not silent. He has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus upholds the universe even now by the word of his power, and his sheep hear his voice. Through the noise of this evil age, they hear the most reassuring promise of all, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Friends, he hears your cries. He sees your tears. You may not always be able to look back on your life and receive an explanation, but you can look forward to a resurrection because evil does not have the last word. When the silence surrounds you, Look to this resurrected Savior, the Lamb who was slain, the Lion who roars for the everlasting victory that he's always won, that he's already won. Your Father may never give you an answer, but he has given you his Son. Let's pray. Without your Son, God, we have no hope. With your Son, We have no need for any other hope. So, Sainus, God, speak to us now through your Son, through your Word, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.